comes. There we go. Luke chapter 14. It's a great joy to be here with you again. I'm starting to feel like a fixture around here. Hallelujah. I want to uh, minister this morning on uh, the commitments of a disciple out of Luke chapter 14. Syndicated columnist Cal Thomas said, The problem in our culture isn't the abortionists. It isn't the pornographers or drug dealers or criminals. It is the undisciplined, undiscipled, and biblically ignorant church of Jesus Christ. That's saying a mouthful. Bill Hull, author of numerous books on discipleship, writes, The church culture in the global north, along with Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa, has largely accepted the idea of a non-discipleship Christianity. People can be Christians without making any effort to submit to or to follow Christ. And so, uh, by and large, our fellowship has been able to escape this pitfall. But the bottom line is these kinds of commitments that we're going to be talking about this morning our individual choices. And just because we as a fellowship believe in the principles of discipleship doesn't necessarily mean that you're a disciple. You could very easily simply be a spectator watching other disciples. And so I want to deal with this. I believe there are a number of aspects involved in discipleship, but I want to address three fundamental commitments that are the basis of discipleship. And I just want to use a couple of verses as a springboard text out of Luke 14, verse 27. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost whether he has enough to finish it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, I pray this morning for your anointing. I pray that you will move beyond anything I can say to help the saints and to help each one of us come to grips uh, with the challenge of following you and serving you with our whole heart. Uh, I pray, God, that you'll help us this morning. You'll strengthen us. uh, And if anyone's here that's not saved, you'll deal with them and bring them uh, to a place of surrender unto salvation. I ask this in Jesus' name. Uh, And everyone said, uh, Amen. Amen. Being a disciple is essentially comes down to a commitment. Commitment. How many of you know what a commitment is? According to Webster, commitment is the act of pledging or promising or the state of being so committed. It is giving yourself to a person or to a purpose completely. And so it is the surrender of your life to something other than yourself. And the first commitment that a disciple has to make is a commitment to be a follower. You have to be willing to follow. A disciple is not a super Christian. 
We might think of the 12 disciples as a special class of spiritually superior people, but we would be wrong as you read through the gospel accounts. It's very obvious that these disciples are subject to the same kind of foibles and screw-ups and mind hassles that we are. They often fail. They often get it wrong. Uh, They're people just like us, uh, but they had made a fundamental decision uh, that Jesus was going to be their rabbi. He was going to be their teacher, and they were going to follow him. At one point, a number of people broke away from Christ, didn't want to follow him anymore. Jesus turned to the 12 uh, and said, are you going to? And their response is, where are we going to go? Yours are the words of life. They had already decided that this is the one I'm hooking my wagon to uh, and I'm not departing from this. In order for your life to make an impact, in order for you uh, to be faithful uh, to your Christianity, you have to make a fundamental decision uh, that you are going to follow Christ all the days of your life. That you are going to be a follower. Our understanding of teacher today is a far cry from the rabbinical understanding of teacher and disciple, mathetes. We're going to look at that in a little more depth before we're through. But for right now, I simply want to zero in on this thought of committing and choosing to follow Jesus completely. Of course, I'm operating from... The assumption that you're born again. If you're not born again, you can't follow him. And many people have tried to do that. I had a Bible school professor who was not born again. He was a brilliant man. He could quote scripture. He knew the original languages, both Hebrew and Greek. He, was, he had immersed himself in the Bible, but he didn't know Jesus. There are a lot of people that know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. And so this whole thing starts with being born again. And we're not going to get diverted in that. Uh, but having established that, if you are indeed born again, then becoming a disciple of Christ is simply making that choice to commit your life to following Jesus. Now, to be a follower of Jesus is the antithesis of being an independent agent. Of just doing your own thing and tacking Jesus onto your life. You cannot follow Jesus independently. You cannot follow him autonomously. You cannot follow Christ and go your own way in life. You have to become a follower by nature. And this plays out in your relationship to your pastor, and to your church. This is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it plays out in the living experience. Our commission is to go into all the world and make disciples, teaching others to obey. This implies that the disciple-making process is from man to man. Nowhere is there the thought that being a follower of Jesus is you and Jesus. I'm just a follower of Jesus. It's just me and Jesus, and there's no one else that needs to be involved. It will never be me and Jesus. It will always be lived out in following others. 
This rubs the American John Wayne spirit the wrong way. We don't like this thought. We don't like the thought of being led and being a follower, but this is a constant theme throughout the New Testament. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 4, 14 to 17, I do not write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So look at the process that Paul understands to be at work in his relationship to the church and in the church's relationship to him. He says, you can learn a lot from a lot of people, but ultimately uh, I have a very unique relationship to you as your pastor. I have a unique relationship uh, informing your life and you are to be an imitator of me. He says, I am sending Timothy to you who he calls a son in the faith. There is that relationship that is at work. And he says, Timothy is going to come and remind you of my ways in Christ. So he's projecting this, uh, this dimension of following even through his disciple. Timothy is his disciple. And Timothy is going to continue to disciple you in the things that Paul is teaching you. And ultimately, Paul is teaching you those things that are going to cause you to be a follower of Christ. He says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Ultimately, we become followers of Christ through the following that we do of our pastors and of those who are making an impact in our life. Philippians 3.17, Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us as a pattern. Again, we're going to look at this a little bit more in depth in just a few moments. But the whole principle here is that as believers, we are followers. And we have made a commitment to be so. We have made a commitment. I'm not just going to go my own way. I'm not going to just do my own thing. I am going to follow. And that is the only means that we have of getting where Christ wants us to get. You cannot get there on your own. It's an impossibility. No matter how smart you may think you are, no matter how well-learned you may think you are, no matter how old in Christ you may think you are, there is, a, there is a great error in thinking that because you've been saved and you've heard a thousand sermons, you already know everything your pastor knows and you don't have to follow anymore. You're wrong. And that is a recipe for disaster. You cannot become what Jesus wants you to be you can't even make heaven your home ultimately because you cannot grow into maturity in Christ unless you do it through the relationship that you have uh, with the church and with your pastor. Many today say they don't need church. We run into this all the time. There are more nominal Christians out there who don't go to church. 
In fact, this is statistically borne out. More people today claim to be born-again Christians than ever before. Somewhere in the neighborhood of 74% of Americans claim to be Christians. And yet only 28% of them go to church. That is a complete error. That is completely out of line with the scriptures. Listen to Ephesians 4, verses 11 to 17. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying or building of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What is Paul saying here? He's saying the only way you can grow into Christ-likeness is through the work of the church, through the equipping of your pastor and church leadership and what we all contribute, what we all do in terms of ministry, providing everything we need to grow into the fullness of Christ. You cannot become a mature Christian without the church. It's impossible. It can't be done. He goes on and writes these words. That we should no longer be children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Again, he says this is the only way you're going to avoid error. If you've ever talked to a Lone Ranger Christian, you, you realize in a short amount of time you're talking to a nut. You're talking to a person who has no doctrinal perspective. You're talking to a person uh, who's tossed about by every wind of doctrine. The only thing that keeps you stable is your brethren saying, where on earth did you come up with that? What lunatic have you been listening to? And it is that dynamic relationship that keeps us from drifting. And he goes on and he says, it's what every joint supplies. It is a, a process of building one another in Christ uh, through leadership and through the body. Uh, and this brings us into maturity in Christ. The disciple, the methetes, the learner is committed to following someone else's lead. And there is no other way to be a disciple. You must embrace and commit to following others as they are following Christ. The next essential commitment is a commitment to becoming. A commitment of transformation a commitment to the ongoing work of becoming like Christ. That is a lifelong commitment. Yes. It is something that you have to give yourself to. You're not there yet. Amen. You took a shower today. You stayed under the water. You didn't get on top of it. <laughs> you didn't part the shower. You, you don't have the power to do this. You are still in the process of becoming. Maybe someday you will, but right now you're not there yet. 
Discipleship is a commitment to becoming. To becoming more than what I am right now. To becoming more Christ-like. Once you've made the commitment to Christ as your rabbi, your teacher, you're the disciple, he's your teacher, you're going to follow him. The point from that, from that point of departure is that I don't want to just know what my rabbi knows. I want to live the way he lives. Barclay tells of a, of a young disciple of a rabbi who went so far as to hide in his rabbi's closet so he could be there to find out about how his rabbi was intimate with his wife. Now, I think that that disciple was probably just a pervert. <laughs> and if you try this, it's a good way to get shot. So I would recommend that you don't take it quite that far. However... You have to understand what's going through the mind of this man. I want to be my rabbi. I don't want to just know what he knows. I don't want to just go to class, sit there, take notes. I want to become what that man is. We are not interested in just knowing what Jesus taught. We are interested in having Christ formed in us. We are interested in becoming like Christ because ultimately uh, that's what a disciple does uh, with his teacher. He is interested in absorbing the life of his teacher and living the exact same life. Luke 6.40, Jesus said a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. It's not just a question of he's been trained and he knows what his teacher knows. It's an issue of I am like him. That is the goal. In our text, Jesus says that the essence of discipleship has to do with picking up the cross because ultimately that's what Jesus did. He lived that life of sacrifice. He lived that life of service. He lived that life of obedience even to the death of the cross and he says, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to live this way. You have to know. It's not just a question of knowing that Jesus went to the cross. It's a question of following him to the cross. It's a question of living the cross. It's a question of living that kind of sacrifice. It's a question of living that kind of obedience to God, doing what he did, living as he lived. That's what we're after. It's a commitment to becoming. I am... I think it was Martin Luther King who used to close out many of his sermons by praying a simple old-time prayer. He said, Lord, I ain't what I ought to be, and I ain't what I gonna be, but thank God I ain't what I used to be. Amen? Because there's a process involved in this of becoming. I'm not what I used to be. I'm still not what... I need to be, but that's where I'm heading. I, I have not yet arrived, and so I am constantly giving myself to this process. You never get to the point where you can set on your laurels. You never get to the point where you can say, oh, you know, I've come as far as I want to come in Christ. I'm as much of a Christian as I want to be. Well, you might be as much of a Christian as you want to be, but you're certainly not enough of a Christian that makes us all happy with you. <laughs> Amen. And I guarantee you, you're not as much like Christ as God wants you to be. 
He is in the process of shaping you and changing you and transforming you. Becoming a disciple is being committed to that process for the rest of your life. In our text, Jesus says, who of you sets out to build a building to step into this project unless you're sure that you're going to see it through to the end? Okay, so back to what I said a little earlier. The day you can walk on water and part the Red Sea, uh, we'll all acknowledge you're probably pretty spiritual dude. <laughs> Until then, you're committed to the process. I'm committed to the changes that have to be made in me. And sometimes that can get a little wearying, can it? I mean, you're, you're, you're fighting it out, you're slugging it out, and you go, man, is this, am I ever going to change? Am I ever going to get this right? Well, you know what? As long as it's still not quite there, you just got to stay in the fight. You got to stay at it. Paul says in 2 Timothy 3, 10 to 14, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life. You got to get that, your head around that. You didn't just follow my doctrine. You followed my manner of life. Purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. So again, listen to what Paul is saying here. He's not saying it's enough that you know what I taught you. He says you have carefully given yourself to the pursuit of following my manner of life, the way I live. And he goes on to uh, enumerate some of his life experiences and his own personal character, his issues of, of being patient and of loving and of, uh, uh, of, of persevering and having faith and uh, enduring persecution and saying, ultimately, your life is going to be like my life. You're going to live the kind of life I live. If you're a follower of Christ, you're going to find out what it means to endure persecution. You're going to find out what it means uh, to go through the struggles inwardly and outwardly to become Christ-like. But it's not just enough to know. It's, it's a question of embracing and becoming, of doing, of living it. It's a life, not a class. It's a life, and therefore it takes a, an entire life to live it. It's not like you go through discipleship 101, 102, 103, 201, 202, and then you graduate with a, a doctorate of, of discipleship. Now you're a disciple. It's not a class. You don't get a diploma. It's a life. It's a life you live. It's a life that is informed by the Spirit of Christ in you. And it's a daily pursuit. Jesus says you have to pick up your cross elsewhere, teaching the same thing. He says this has to be done daily. Every day of your life, you have to step into Christ's sandals and you have to follow the life that Christ lived. You'll master certain elements 
and then you'll break down. Amen. Charles Swindle wrote a book years and years ago that I've always loved the title of. He said, three steps forward, two steps back. That's the reality of Christianity. We do it in a staggering fits and starts process. Uh, we go through some things. We experience some things. We grow in some things. Uh, we drop back to the 40 and punt. Then we run downfield and we keep at it. But all of this is a process of becoming Christ-like. And Paul himself, the discipler, said, I have not apprehended yet. I do not count myself as having apprehended. There was still a, a development going on in his life. That didn't short-circuit the process. He didn't say, therefore, don't listen to me. He said, I'm pursuing, you pursue and be followers of me. And all of this is simply pointing to the, the miraculous life of Christianity where we are constantly becoming more than we are right now. And that's really good news. You are not yet what you will be. Amen? Praise God. Here's an honest man. The rest of you are all going, well, what's, what's wrong with what I am? <laughs> you are not yet what you will be. Christ is working in you, his own life, his own spirit, so that you think like him. Would it be wonderful to be cut off in traffic and think like Jesus? <laughs> God bless you, my son. Be thou warmed and filled and blessed with all the blessings of God instead of reaching under your seat. <clears throat> To, to be able to address life the way Jesus addressed it. To be able to walk in the absolute calm assurance that everything I do is in the Father. That everything I do is directed by the hand of God Almighty. Oh, beloved, that's what we're pressing towards. That's what we are giving ourselves to. And we're not there yet. And that can be very discouraging, but don't get discouraged because he's not done with you yet. He is still working in you, and you are committed to becoming. I'll throw this in too. Becoming like Christ means becoming less like yourself. Christ-like is not you-like. Some folks just get more and more like themselves. You ever notice that? They were ornery when they got saved. Now they're intolerable. <laughs> the whole point is leaving you behind and letting Christ be formed in you. Uh, in, uh, in our text, uh, he says, pick up your cross, follow me. Again, if you follow that particular teaching through the Gospels, you'll find him saying things like deny yourself. I preached on that when I was here, so I'll not... Belabor it, but you have to understand I cannot become like Christ and re remain like myself. I am committed to losing me and gaining Christ. Finally, there is the commitment to reproduction. If I am going to be a follower of Christ, then I am committed to doing what he did, which is to shape others and bring others 
to salvation, redemption, and God. Yeah. Amen. There has to be a commitment to reproduction. This is essential in being a disciple of Christ. Bill Hull says when a disciple finished his training, he was expected to reproduce what he'd learned by finding and training his own apprentices. He would start his own school and call it after his name, such as the House of Hillel. Now, the purpose in this was not to depart and draw disciples away to yourself uh, with a completely different worldview than what you had learned. Paul warned the Ephesian elders uh, that, that this was one of the great dangers that faced the church is there would be men who came from without and from within to draw disciples away to themselves. So we're not talking about developing your own mindset here. The whole process of discipleship as I have defined it is being led into a particular kind of lifestyle and now I want to go and I want to reproduce that in someone else. I want someone else to get everything that I have gotten through my own discipleship. 2 Timothy 2.2 And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Here's a process that's involved. It's a commitment. I am going to entrust someone else with the things that I've learned so that they can reproduce that in someone else. Greg Ogden, in his book, Transforming Discipleship, writes, the scriptures picture the church as full of proactive ministers. The reality is that a majority of church members are passive recipients. Now think about what he just said there. He said, when you look at the book of Acts, you find people making disciples. You find a church that is aggressively involved in bringing others to God, to reproducing Christ in others, and and and. When they're scattered by persecution, when they're, when they're sent out to, as Paul and Barnabas was, no matter what the context, they're always taking with them this reality of the gospel and seeking to reproduce it everywhere that they go. It has to move beyond passive reception. Again, the discipleship mindset of the classroom, I'm just learning, I'm just absorbing Pastor preaches the Bible and I'm taking my notes and I'm, I'm learning all of this. Well, that's all fine. It's good you take notes. It's good you're learning. But we're not trying to give you notes. We're trying to change your life so that you will go and change somebody else's. It isn't just a matter of constantly receiving. You have to turn around and reproduce this. Jesus said, when the life is in you, you will reproduce some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, but you will reproduce. I mentioned earlier that he said, go and make disciples. That is our calling. Our calling is not just to witness. Our calling is not just to tell people about church. Our calling is to get them saved, get them born again, and make disciples, a church has to have a culture of discipleship. Listen to me carefully here, because I believe this is something that, that uh, to one degree or another, has been lost in many of our churches today. When I got to Prescott, that church was rocking in discipleship. 
There were men that were lined up to be sent out. There were men that had given themselves wholeheartedly to the work of the kingdom of God. And when I stepped into that church, I had already been saved for three years. I had gone to Bible school, which was the traditional way of discipleship, which isn't biblical at all, and it doesn't work. It will make you crazy. You will end up absolutely backslidden because they will strip you of all your faith. Amen. Good preaching, Lamb. But when I hit Prescott, there was an, a, a climate of discipleship. There was a climate where other men would take you by the hand, uh, get you on the streets, teach you how to witness, uh, get you into prayer at 7 o'clock in the morning, get you on outreach, uh, get you involved. They would, they would be involved in the process of discipling you. Obviously, uh, Pastor Mitchell and his preaching and his teaching and his own exampleship uh, was having enormous influence in shaping our lives, but it went beyond the pulpit. It went into the culture of the church. Everybody in that church was serious about living for God. Pastor Greg Mitchell has started through the, a number of years in Prescott since he's been on staff there, uh, a, uh, a group that he calls Serious Men. And this whole concept of, of taking men who are serious about living for God and helping to shape them, give the tools that they need to, to pursue their destiny and their ministry. And this is absolutely essential, but it can't stop there. It's got to be, we're all serious men and women. And that's what I got when I got to Prescott. And that's what Pastor Mitchell is trying to build into that congregation. is a congregation of serious mad dog believers who are serious about getting other mad dog believers. If I'm going to be nuts about Jesus, I want you to be as nuts as I am. <laughs> nuts don't like being alone. We want all the nuts we can have uh, completely sold out to Jesus Christ. Serious men. Serious women. It's a culture. It's a culture. If you come into a church and half the people are just kind of laissez-faire, they're just kind of there, you know. They just come into church. They're just hanging out. Well, that's going to draw a certain kind of person, isn't it? And that's going to produce a certain kind of person. But the ones that are on fire, the ones that say, man, I am totally sold out to this Jesus I am a follower. I am a becomer. I have given myself to be like Christ. Well, that's the kind of infection we need in our church. That's the kind of culture we need in our church. Our pastors, our leaders have to disciple us, and then we have to continue to reproduce that. Reproduction is a commitment. It doesn't happen but by intent. You've got to determine in your heart you're going to have a project or two, or a half a dozen. People that you are investing your life in sacrificially, unselfishly giving yourself to developing them to the best of your abilities, taking the things that you have learned, you have absorbed, and putting that into those who you are working with. When Jesus said that we are to pick up our cross, he's referring to more than just suffering. He's referring to the work of reconciliation and redemption. The cross is Christ bringing us to God. 
And if we're to pick up our cross, then we are to bring others to God. We are to draw others into this incredible, life-changing experience. This doesn't happen uh, simply because you agree with the tenets of the faith. This doesn't happen simply because you understand the doctrines of Christianity. It happens when you understand this is what God wants me to do with my life. He wants me to go into the world and make disciples. At whatever level that suggests, if you're called to be a pastor, your job is to go make disciples. If you are not called to be a pastor, you're still called to go and make disciples. To develop people in Christ. Not to make them carnal, to make them Christ-like. Amen? And so there has to be an ongoing reality of this in our churches. Every one of you that's here today needs to make a commitment to this. I am committed to making my church a center of discipleship by my own commitment to the process, by my own commitment to being discipled and making disciples. It's intentional. It's a commitment to reproduce. Much of what is going on in the church world today is a product of the loss of discipleship. The reason why we have such weak Christians is as, as uh, 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 what's his name? I gotta go back here. Cal Thomas, that's who it was. As he said uh, that the problem in the church today is we have biblically ignorant, undisciplined, and undiscipled people in our churches. We got to move it beyond that, beloved. Discipleship is a commitment. It's a life commitment. I'm committed to following. I'm committed to becoming. And I'm committed to reproducing. Amen. Amen. That's all I have. Pastor Martinez.